Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Wednesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. We're diving in on the offensive line. It's important. Games are won in the trenches. Vince Lombardi. I don't know. Probably somebody said something like that at some time. Some old guy in a hat you on the sidelines. It. Some old I, guy in pink headphones just said it. I did. Yeah. If Vince Lombardi could see me right now, he would kick me right in the butt and say, stop talking <laughs> about football. You. Here's the deal. We thought, we thought Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers were All-American quality. We weren't sure about the tackles coming in. Thayer Munford's health. Nicholas petit Fair winning the job. Harry Miller is a five-star new starter as a second-year player. How is this offensive line playing? On Tuesday, we talked to Ryan Day about that. We talked to Thayer Munford about that. We talked to Josh Myers about that. We have stats about that. Each of us has gone back and rewatched at least a chunk of each of the first three games, trying to assess how this offensive line is playing because it's a little bit hard to get a handle on. So we're going to get into that in detail on this Wednesday podcast. But Nathan, what did you think was like the overarching sort of vibe of the offensive line discussion that took place in various ways with the Buckeyes on Tuesday? Well, I think it's been a conversation that's been ongoing since the start of the season, because right after the, the first game, a lot of rave reviews, really, for Thayer Mumford and Nicholas Petit-Frere, I think, in particular, for how that Nebraska game went and being kind of like them sort of announcing themselves as, hey, we're we're ready and and now maybe this line can be something. But I think the conversation has evolved. And then finally this week. Uh, sort of still, uh, you know, it's the second week in a row we've all been asking about things that were happening from the Rutgers game. But uh, another week of I think people have had more time to assess what they think about this offensive line. And the question is, why isn't the interior playing better? And we got that question. We brought that question from a, a number of different angles. And I think part of the assessment here has to be that you have a person on this line and Harry Miller who is brand new first year starter and not only being a first year starter, but only a second year guy. And, you know, Steven was asking later about, you know, why it seems like third year is when some of these guys have broken through is asking Josh Myers about that. I think that's probably an important thing to keep in the back of our mind as we continue this conversation. But kind of the question that I was trying to bring up and Josh Myers had got into it a little bit was when you have one guy who's off, isn't there a domino effect? Doesn't that sort of like, um, ripple through the rest of the offensive line. And he agreed that like when, when one guy is off, sometimes that is a factor in how you end up grading the whole offensive line that night. So I, he, he talked about kind of there being a, um, how did he put it? You know, the, the, the gel wasn't really there for him and Harry Miller. And that came up multiple times in the Rutgers game where there's just miscommunications or just a lack of anticipation, lack of familiarity that you would have next to a guy that you're more used to playing with at this point of their careers. And I think you're seeing all those little things still come up uh, halfway through the season that, that you're still dealing with a guy who's, who is, who is new and the rest of the line is trying to um, make up for that. Were you surprised at all, Stephen, the idea that anybody's sort of admitting like, hey, yeah, you know, maybe it's not gelling perfectly so far. 
Was that a surprise for you to hear that? Or is that just, hey, you know, we can all be honest about this. This is how it works sometimes. No, I, I wasn't surprised to hear it because I think they've had enough games, to, enough snaps together to understand what's going on, what's going wrong and what's going right. And I think part of it is, as Nathan alluded to, the Harry Miller situation. I think that Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis Highway has not sometimes turned into the Harry Miller, Josh Myers sidewalk because it just seems like there's some times during games, and I know we're going to get into this, but to the point of Josh Myers saying that when there's one guy who's off, it affects the whole line. It seems like a lot of times Josh Myers kind of takes it upon himself to help out the second year, first year, second year player and first year starter, which can sometimes throw the rest of the line off because there's one guy trying to make up for what another guy's not doing. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some of the PFF grades that were given to the offensive line in each of these games. And we divided up the games because, you know, frankly, we have a lot to do and there's a lot going on and we're very busy people. So the way we did this is just to refresh ourselves, to make sure we knew where we stood on this, on the offensive line. Cause listen, come on. Steven means watches a football game. He watches Garrett Wilson. And sometimes if you said to Stephen Means, Stephen Means, was there an offensive line on that play? Or did Justin Fields just take a snap and run in a circle and throw it to Garrett Wilson? Stephen Means would say, I don't know the answer to that. I wasn't watching that. So we made ourselves watch the offensive line. I watched the Nebraska game. Stephen watched the Penn State game. Nathan watched the Rutgers game. So we're going to go through in order. We have some stats. And then we'll talk about sort of where we think things are. So why don't we start, Nathan, first with the grades from the Nebraska game, the PFF grades for the offensive line, and then I'll tell everybody what I sort of saw in rewatching this. How did Thayer Munford, the left tackle, grade out in the Nebraska game? Well, real quick before we do that, I want – because it can be difficult to help people visualize numbers on a podcast. So real quick, I just want to say I want to give people a kind of a calibration. It's, it's a 1 to 100 scale, which I guess is pretty easy to figure out. Um, last year, when White Davis was an All-American, he graded at 82.6 per pro football focus. So, And if you think about it, there's, there's sort of a sliding scale of like when you're up in the 90s, I think Justin Fields is the, the highest-ranked quarterback right now, 93.9. That's like blue, and then it sort of slides down to green, and then like a pale green, and then like yellow, and then like a sickly yellow, and then orange as you get farther and farther down. So – just to give people so to help people kind of visualize what we're talking about here instead of so the numbers have some well um, and, and just as a heads up this is what scott pasco when we, we reference the, our pff numbers a lot on our gotta watch the tape twice a week browns podcast that if you guys aren't listening to you really should try it if you care at all about the browns me scott pasco ellis williams every tuesday every friday we dig in on numbers and film about the browns gotta watch the tape it's in the orange and brown talk feed most of our podcasts at cleveland.com are called something talk. So we have Buckeye talk. That's orange and brown talk. Look for that. And it's hard to get an A. It's hard to be in the 90s. But for the most part, it's kind of like a grade in school. That like 80s yeah. is like a B. 70s is like a C. 60s is like a D. 50s is your kind of failing. So that's not exactly right. Because if Justin Fields was in quarterback school, he'd have like 103. He would have done the extra credit. He would have gotten maybe some bonus points for leadership. He would have above 100. So if he's only a 93, it's kind of a hard grading scale. But that also roughly is what you're yeah. talking about. Also with the caveat, as Nathan just said, Wyatt Davis was an All-American last year and he was an 82. So again, but you just, just so you know, if you're hearing a bunch of grades in the 60s and the 50s, that's not so good. So right. keep that in your head. Yeah. It's like a school grading system. I would say with maybe like a, with a curve. Like I took, when I took physics in college, it was physics for English majors basically. And so you only had to get like an 85 to get an A. So think of it kind of that way. Like if you're down in the sixties, it's not like you're almost failing, but it's, it's more like a low C, I guess. Would maybe oh, when, I, I would. when I took physics in college, cause I why like to learn physics? about science. I don't. That's why I was taking yeah. the physics for non-science majors. Why did they make you take a physics course of all the sciences in the world? I, it's just an elective. We're getting way off topic here. I was just trying to give people yeah, some perspective yeah. on what this is going to look like. All right, so we're looking at the we're looking at the uh, Nebraska game. All right, so Nicholas Petit Frere, like I said, eighty-two point six last year for White Davis was what he graded to be an All-American. Nicholas Petit Frere was eighty-nine point two for the Nebraska game. 
including 89.5 on his run blocking. Uh, Thayer Mumford, 75.6, so obviously still pretty good. And then Wyatt Davis, 70.8. Harry Miller, 56.4. Josh Myers, 67.1. That's Harry Miller's first game ever playing against frontline Big Ten defense. So let's keep that in mind, too, as we as we consider that number. Okay, so that's NPF really good. Wyatt Davis and Thayer Munford, good. Josh Myers, okay. And Harry Miller, not very good for the Nebraska game. And in rewatching this, uh, this is what I saw on a couple things. First of all, you want to hear what my number one takeaway was about the offensive line from the Nebraska game on a rewatch? Number one, Doug takeaway on the Ohio State offensive line from the Nebraska game is that Trey Sermon cannot find a hole. There is some part of this in here that we are going to have a discussion about. And uh, there is some, there was just maybe a little bit of a breadcrumb in the discussion today of like, maybe it's like, Hey, what's up with the offensive line? Was there not guys, maybe a little breadcrumb of like, well, you know, there might be holes there. It's like a philosophical question. If a hole if a lineman blocks open a hole, but the running back doesn't take it, was the hole ever there? And then you freeze frame it on the, the rewatch, and it's like, yeah, it was there. And Trey Sermon decided to run face first into a linebacker instead of taking the hole. So is there not right. some component of that at play here? Josh Myers brought that up the last time we talked to him as well. He didn't obviously say Trey Sermon's not finding the hole, but he did allude to the fact that yeah, sometimes, you know, I think we just need to do a better job of hitting our holes. And I think then it was, it was after week one, so you're not really sure which of the backs he was talking about because neither one of them played well. But now that we've played three games, I think he was talking about the same running back in both situations. And I, But I think it is also important here, and I don't know how much we want to call the pro football focus grades some kind of gospel, but I do think they're a useful guide, and it, the, everybody's graded individually. So I think what you're talking about explains the rushing performance overall but on every single play if they're grading every offensive lineman individually they give you credit for the hole that you create whether the running back takes it or not true no we get it we get it yeah no pff you got it it is a good guide it's not gospel i would just saw some players were like complaining about nfl pff grades on on twitter today because it's like well the people doing the grading don't know the assignment on every hole and we get that sometimes it, but it is a good general guide so i will say this there was one sequence in particular that I thought sort of told the story of Harry Miller in his first start. And there was a play where everybody's pass protecting and it just felt like Harry Miller got a little eager and got, he got leaning forward a little bit. You could see the other four offensive linemen were sort of getting ready to pass protect. And he leaned forward sort of into his guy and the guy sidestepped him and got into the backfield and the pocket collapsed. And you could just see Harry Miller sort of let his guy get through when everybody else kind of did his job. And you could just maybe sort of see the lack of technique with Harry Miller on that play. And then the very next play, he's blocking the same guy for Nebraska. And off the snap, the guy drives Harry Miller back immediately. And Harry Miller is being pushed back into Justin Fields and right a step and a half before he gets back driven all the way into Justin Fields, Harry Miller gets his feet set and stops and stands the guy up. He's in the fight. He's being pushed back, but he has the strength. He has the, the footwork to stop the guy from pushing him all the way back. He keeps the clean pocket and it's the touchdown pass that Justin Fields hits to Garrett Wilson, the beautiful post to Garrett Wilson and the Nebraska game and the other four guys all have their blocks set all the way. And Harry Miller is fighting. You can see the fight in Harry Miller. He just got beat by the same guy, the previous snap, but in the end, he wins the battle, gives the protection and they throw a touchdown pass off of it. What I thought I saw from Harry Miller in this Nebraska game is you could see the fight in every play. Sometimes it's like Thayer Munford kind of is just out there, Thayer Munford looks like an old pro, man. Thayer Munford is just taking care of business. He's in the right spot. 
a lot of times with offensive linemen, you talk about looking for work. You can see Harry Miller looking for work. If he doesn't have a guy to block, he turns and he's going to double team somebody. You could see early on in this game, they were passing some guys off. There was a moment where Harry Miller had a guy, he passed him off to Josh Myers, and then Thayer Munford was getting beat. And Harry Miller went over to help Thayer Munford and shut that down. There was another time where Thayer Munford, the guy he was supposed to block, dropped back into coverage. And Harry Miller was getting beat by a guy. Thayer Munford doesn't have anybody to go up block. He immediately slides over and helps Harry Miller. Helps with that double team and keeps Harry Miller from getting beaten. It really was pretty good early on with some communication. But I just I felt like you could see Harry Miller is just in the weeds a little bit which you would expect. It doesn't matter if you're a top 50 recruiter, if you've never done it before, it's his first start. You could see, I always talk about sometimes if you have a hard job and you make it look easy, people forget that the job is actually hard. Playing offensive line is hard. Some guys, by the time they're veterans, make it look easy. Harry Miller's making a hard job look hard right now, but he's still doing his job a decent chunk of the time. Now, again, PFF grade is not great, Guys are not hitting holes here, though, man. There are times where it's like, where's the Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis super highway? It's like, it's right there. It's right there. Take it. Please, someone run through the hole. Master Teague, you guys remember near the end of the first half against Nebraska, Master Teague looked like he just sort of clicked in for him. And they were on the 17-yard line. He ran for 11 yards, and then he ran for six yards, back-to-back plays, and just took care of business and scored. On the first 11-yard run, Harry Miller blocks his guy out. Wyatt Davis blocks his guy out. Josh Myers snaps and immediately leads, gets to the second level, gets to the linebacker. It is a thing of beauty to watch this. And then on the touchdown run, Harry Miller – blocks down on the zone block and just shoves his guy five yards to the side. Thayer Munford seals his guy. Easy cutback lane for Master Teague. Beautiful. There are moments where it really works. And you can see how how pretty offensive line play is when it all comes together. There are also times when it's a struggle, and there are times when there are holes there, and these backs in week one were not taking it. So I think we have to keep those PFF grades in mind. But I do want to say there were times when Harry Miller looked really good, but then there were times where he did not look good. So I think that's what stood out. Most of the other guys looked pretty good most of the time. But it actually, again, it wasn't, it wasn't disastrous. And I think a lot of, when Ryan Day and these guys are talking about this, I think it's so important when you watch this stuff, if you see guys making plays, are there unblocked players making tackles because there's too many guys to block? There's a linebacker filling a hole and there's nothing you can do. Sometimes they're scheming up stuff where they're zone blocking a certain direction. They're leaving an edge blocker unblocked. He crashes down and maybe makes a play. It's the play design, but the back doesn't get to the hole in time or the, the edge guy just makes a good play. There were a decent number of times in the Nebraska game where unblocked defenders were making tackles in the backfield. Trey Sermon got stopped on a third and one where a linebacker came off the edge on a run blitz and just took his legs out. And there's not a lot of examples of these two running backs taking care of defenders here. But sometimes it's up to the running back. There is no block on this guy. You've got to take care of him. They're not taking care of anybody. They're getting tackled by the first guy through, whether it's in the hole or whether it's off the edge. So I actually, in the end, I thought it was a, what I saw against Nebraska was pretty typical, normal struggles of a new starter who still did not let a bad play ruin his day. And he would come back and make a good play. And you can see some natural talent from Harry there and the rest of the guys are pretty good. So that was my, that was my analysis of what I watched of the Nebraska game. Let's go to the Penn state game. This is the game that Steven watched. Nathan, what were the offensive line grades from the Penn state game? I just want to say real quick um, from the Nebraska game, I mentioned that 56.4 for Harry Miller, they split it up between pass and run and on run, he got 61.8 and on pass, he got 20.7. So that's the other thing that factors in there. Sometimes you can be doing really w- well at one aspect of the of, of being an offensive lineman and get graded pretty poorly in the other aspect. And I think, again, first time out there, that's maybe about what you might expect, that the, the grade would probably be worse for pass blocking. And you guys, I, I'll be curious to see what you say on your rewatch. I think it feels like Harry sometimes is too aggressive in pass pro, that he he's out there, he's he gets himself leaning in a certain mm-hmm. way. Um, and it's just, I think it's an, it's an eagerness and it's, it's, it comes from a good place, right? It's one of those sins of aggression 
that that and it's I don't know that it's I mean it's a it's a lack of technique sometimes, but I think this guy wants to go hit somebody and sometimes he gets ahead of himself a little bit. All right, Penn State game. What are the grades? Uh, for the tackles, Thayer Munford, 70.3. NPF, only 60.9. And that was came with actually a really good pass pro grade and, and not uh, in, a, in a pretty mediocre to bad uh, run pro grade. Only 52 on the run pro, 83.5 on pass pro. But um, it's only a 61 overall, basically. Um, the guards, uh, Wyatt Davis, 65.9. Harry Miller, 68.4. And Josh Myers, 67.3. And those grades surprised me a little bit only because – I thought the general consensus was that, again, such an aggressive front for Penn State, the two of the best defensive ends that I think Ohio State will play this season, and they weren't really a factor. I, I thought Ohio State did a pretty good job of, of holding them in check. But I haven't rewatched the game with the same detail, so, Stephen, you can tell us what you think. Yeah, I think of the three games, this was the offensive line's best day, especially on the interior. Penn State sent some blitzes, and to the point of Harry Miller can be a little aggressive – I think when you send some blitzes, Harry Miller can get caught in some areas he shouldn't be in, and that allowed some – not necessarily the one where Justin Fields got hit on the blind side. That's just a really good blitz. But there were some times where Penn State sent some blitzes, and you could tell Harry Miller was kind of feeling it off of the last couple of snaps, and so he got into it. He got a little over-aggressive, and Justin Fields had to move around in the pocket a little bit. I think it was a, a third and long situation where he didn't necessarily have the time he needed to look downfield and see what was going on, so he had to scramble for like two or three yards – and get out of there. I, I I think when we first watched the game, I thought Wyatt Davis just blatantly let a guy go back, go by him. He actually slipped. He was actually perfect. He had perfect set, and then he just slipped on some grass, and it allowed the guy to get. But that's when uh, Kirk Herbstreit was talking about Justin Fields held onto the ball too long. That's not what happened either. Wyatt Davis just slipped, and a guy got past him. But for the most part, he was pretty good. But to the point of Josh Myers maybe helping out Harry Miller a little too much. I think they all agreed that Harry didn't have the best day in week one, and so they tried to cover up for him at times. And at times it worked. At times they would pass off guys, and it would work out pretty well. And then Harry Miller would go around looking for more work, especially on run plays. But then there was also times where I think Josh was a little overeager to help his little brother and left Wyatt over there on his own, and it allowed some of these blitzes to get through. And I think Penn State, at the time, thinking what we thought of Penn State, they had a good enough defensive plan to kind of combat the fact that Ohio State had a new guy on their interior. And it's interesting. I mean, I think even PFF at the moment after the game was talking about how Thayer Munford and Nicholas Petit Frere didn't allow, I don't think, any pressures in that game. And I thought yeah. that was very impressive. I, you know, we talked and wrote a lot about Jason Awe and Shaka Tony going into that game, the Penn State defensive ends. And I thought the Ohio State tackles really handled them. And again, PFF does a great job. You know, again, you hear a 60.9 grade for NPF in, in that in that game. And I, I think the tackles played really well in that game. Um, and again, some of the, the sack stats and some of the, you know, stats, stats matter. I, I am a stats guy. I, I'm, in, I'm in on analytics. I am in on analyzing football in this way. Um, but again, it's not perfect. It's not the only thing. Penn State has some good defensive ends who did not really affect the game all that much. And so um, I did think in the end, Stephen, to your point, that that seemingly across the board in general against a talented front was a pretty good was a pretty good game. Rutgers again, we don't have the Maryland game. It's hard. We only have three games to analyze. Nathan, what were the PFF grades from the Rutgers game? So a good game for the tackle, seventy eight point three for Munford, uh, seventy four point two for NPF. I want to say here real quick too, uh, one of the things that uh, PFF tracks is pressures and things like that. And through three games, Thayer Mumford has allowed one pressure and NPF has allowed zero pressures. So one combined pressure allowed from you two tackles. I know it's only been three games and I know two of those opponents are Rutgers and Nebraska, but that's, that's still pretty great. Uh, the guards and centers though, this is by far their worst game. According to PFF grades, white Davis, 58.5, Harry Miller, 58.7, Josh Myers, 50.9. And now again, if you're and when you're getting into the color coded things, you start getting into some pretty, ugly colors when you start talking about getting down into the fifties, the low fifties for your starting lineman getting graded. So I, I dipped out on some of the interviews today. I wasn't listening to Josh Myers. I, I, it felt like that might've been Josh Myers worst game as a Buckeye against Rutgers. What did he, was he asked any, any specifics about that in the discussion of his play? Where is Josh on how he's thinking of how he's handling things at the moment? Did you guys get into that with him very much? You know, I'm going back through my notes. I, I'm trying to – he was asked about a lot of things in in, in terms of just the, the line play in general. Um, again, talking about their time – we was talking about Harry Miller, times we've not gelled 
not so gelled together, things we're working to eliminate. It's just fine. We know we have to work on and we've been working on those things and talking through it. Um, a big part of it is when the game does come, just relaxing and understanding what we've done to get where we are and making sure we don't get too anxious and not try to kill somebody, uh, calming down and doing our job. I don't think he's, when he says our there, I don't know if he's saying our, I think he might be talking about Harry Miller. But he also might be talking about himself. I thought, and, and yeah. I want to hear what you thought about the Rutgers game, Nathan, because you watched it. But I thought there were maybe was maybe at least one or two plays where what we're talking about with Harry Miller maybe getting a little aggressive and a, a defensive tackle being able to sort of make a move on him. I thought that happened to Josh maybe a couple times in the Rutgers game too. So I, I agree with you. I think our might mean Harry Miller, but I, I think maybe at times our also means Josh Myers himself possibly. I think I agree with that. I think it means Harry. I think a lot of times it's Harry Miller's new. And so I have to help him, but it takes me out of position when I shouldn't have to be out of position because I'm overextending myself when I shouldn't, when I don't have to. So it's a, it's not blaming Harry Miller for being new, but it's, I have to do it. I allow Harry to do his job and I need to focus on doing my own job. Sometimes I think is kind of what he's trying to say. So we don't make this like the, uh, the, the, the bash on Harry Miller podcast. Again, this was another game where I thought he had some really good play. I mean, the first play of the game, if people remember, uh, Master Teague had a, had a nice run and it was created by Miller just smashing his guy inside, Munford taking his guy outside, and there's a huge gap for him to run through. So a lot of times in 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 the in run blocking, I think Harry Miller's doing a, a pretty good job for the most part. Um, but there were other points and I, I definitely it resonated with me when you're talking to when you're talking about how he kind of gets out um gets out ahead of himself. There's one play where the first holding penalty that he got where he's got the guy stood up and then the guy, but, but, and he's holding, he, he's got the play stopped. I thought. And then the guy does one spin move and all of a sudden Harry Miller just puts him in a bear hug. Like it just, it was like instantaneous almost. And I thought it was one, um, one of the more unnecessary holding penalties. Like we talked post game about how, if you're about to give up a sack, you're, you're better off holding than giving up the sack. But I think it was I think there was something else that could have happened before he was so beaten that he had to resort to that. I thought that was an, a, an example of um, him just kind of being out over his skis a little bit. Um, and then another play actually on the series before that, where a, a run play got blown up and they actually got bailed out of this because Rutgers ended up being offsides. But um, the uh, dumb for the guy who used to be at Michigan who transferred to Rutgers who had, had a couple of nice plays in the first half. Um, he comes like right through that, that Miller Myers gap. And it was one of the instances where, you know, Myers is talking about how they're not really gelled together yet, how maybe that um, cohesiveness isn't quite there yet. And that was one of several times where I thought somebody just like let somebody through, somebody just gave somebody up an assignment wasn't being picked up or there was, there was a miscommunication. And I think it was actually after that play that you can see as the play, as, as the broadcast keeps going, like Myers like immediately turns and looks for Harry Miller to like tell him something. And I think it's to tell him like, Hey, that was your guy. Um, or you've got to tell me something like some communication that wasn't happening there. So you can see in real time, these things that, that Josh Myers was talking about today, the conversations that they're having, through practice, through uh, team meetings, uh, position group meetings, those sorts of things. You could see those things playing out in real time as well. That was, that's, I think I know exactly which player talked about. It kind of stood out. It's almost like, was that, it's like Harry Miller had his right arm on a guy and it was almost like Josh Myers had his left arm on the guy and then they both just kind of let him go and he went mm-hmm. right through between them. And it was like, well, that wasn't right. Whatever was supposed yep. to happen there, it wasn't supposed to be that both of you let the guy go because you each thought the other guy was going to have it. And I just want to throw this caveat in here. Listen, we're not offensive line experts, but we did go back and rewatch these games only looking at the offensive line. So there are many more experts out there who could break down exactly what is happening with this line play. But these guys were asked about it today. We're trying to tell you we zeroed in on this and now we're giving you some of the grades. I think it's, I think it's, Okay. And I do think, did you, and for both of you guys, and I know we didn't get to watch every single offensive line snap and all this stuff. Did either of you also see moments in your games where you felt like maybe there were some holes that were created in the run game that the back didn't take or the back didn't quite get to? Either didn't take, uh, in Sermon's case, it was a lot of, I'm dancing in the hole and I'm going, go, 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 it's there. Or with Master Teague having to – I actually had to write it down in my notes. You have to remember you're not watching. 
watching J.K. Dobbins because there was a run. It was a long run for for Master Teague where I'm just envisioning if this is J.K. Dobbins, he makes a cutback and it's a touchdown. It's a long touchdown run. But instead, it's just a nice 15 yard game because of who we're dealing with here. And so with Teague, I had to remind myself I'm not watching number two from last year. And while with Sermon, it was a lot of the hole would be there. It would disappear. And then he would go straight forward into a into a guard. I saw less of it against Rutgers. There was an example, though, where I wondered if it was actually a positive thing almost that Teague didn't take. There was a, a play on the first series of the game where after – so on that first play of the game, they had created that big hole on the left side. Later in that series, they create a, another hole very similar to that. Teague is more on the center side of the of the play – and I think he, he's, you could almost see that he sees that hole and there's a smaller hole in front of him. And it makes more sense for the player that Master Teague is to take the smaller hole, I think, than to try to readjust and go over there because I think he's just a step too slow. Last year, that's where J.K. Dobbins probably would have cut it back and done some real damage. This year, I think it makes more sense for Ohio State if maybe Teague just goes straight forward and takes what he can get that's right in front of him. So that was actually a play where I, I know what you were talking about, Doug, and we saw it a lot against Nebraska. I thought that was actually almost a progression of the run game that maybe because if they had tried to do that earlier in the season, I think it would have had the same result as or, or a similarly bad result to not taking the hole to begin with. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back a little more offensive line talk on this Wednesday Buckeye talk from Cleveland.com. If you want to be a texter and get in on that and, and communicate with us and send us questions and get the instantaneous analysis and instantaneous news and all the most important quotes when they're having news conferences on Tuesday and Wednesday, straight into your phone, 614-350-3315. A great couple reviews at Apple Podcasts in the last couple of days. Someone with the five star, but that also told me to stop talking about COVID. So I won't talk about COVID anymore. Um, we appreciate <laughs> all those, all those five star reviews from our loyal listeners. And again, just a reminder, if you guys, have a chance to get to cleveland.com slash OSU. Check out some of the stories we're writing. Um, but right now, we're doing a podcast, and we'll be back right after this. Back on Buckeye Talk. When you heard, we heard from Thayer Munford, we heard from Josh Myers, we heard from Ryan Day. Nathan, did you hear frustration? Did you think there was any frustration from these guys? Or did you think it was sort of more like, this is the progress of a season, like we'll be fine, we're good, we have a good offensive line, and we're working it out. Well, I think the, an important thing to remember here is, and I, it was something that I was thinking about after watching my game after having talked to them today, and that was if you were to go back two years and grade those games with Josh Myers playing center as a sophomore and Wyatt Davis playing right guard as a sophomore on those teams, it might look exactly like this. They might have been having a lot of the same issues that Harry Miller is having early on this season, too. I think that is worth keeping in perspective. That doesn't mean you don't still critique the player that's out there, but it's something to keep in mind as a, a factor in why things might look the way they do. I, I think there's also, from, from talking to Josh Myers, I definitely got the sense that um, they realize that there are things that they have to get better at. I don't know if, if he was... I don't, they, I didn't really get, they weren't defensive about it. I think they just understand also that even when you're winning and even when you're winning by considerable margins, that when you're at Ohio State, these things get analyzed the way they do and scrutinized the way they do. But I think they also understand that, that the expectations were higher. They kind of put them there. They talked about wanting to be the best offensive line in the country coming into the season. And I don't think, I don't think anyone would call them that right now. So I, I think they see this as a, a, a definite area that needs to improve over the next four weeks. Yeah, I think Josh Myers even alluded to it today, the fact that I, if they weren't playing Cincinnati last year and they were playing instead of that, they were playing Penn State in week two. I mean, or my, then they weren't playing Miami of Ohio. We maybe would have seen the same growing pains from Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis last season uh, that we're seeing from Harry Miller this year as a first-year starter. So there are a couple other uh, stats here that I, I want to use, mostly for a comparison to themselves. And I'm looking at football outsiders. They have some offensive line stats you can use. One of the stats is called uh, line yards. It's line yards per carry. And they define it as this. Um, it's the line gets credit for rushing yardage between zero and three yards and 50% credit for yards four to eight. Anything over eight yards is quantified as going to the runner that like they kind of did the work on that, which is kind of what we're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. That, 
sometimes, yeah, it's up to the back. Can you make a linebacker miss to turn your four-yard run into a 12-yard run? So this is line yards. In 2019, they were averaging 2.96 line yards per carry, which is which was eighth in the nation. This year, they are at 2.18, which is 14th in the nation. So they're still pretty good. They're slightly behind last year's pace of – sort of what the offensive line is doing on its part of the job when it comes to the run game. Here's another one. It's called opportunity rate. I'll tell you what, man, some of these stats, I don't even know how people come up with this stuff. I mean, it's fascinating to me. I love it. I love it. I assume there's a couple people, by the way, I'm not talking about COVID shout out to the scientists with the vaccine work. This is what happens when I think about football stats. I think about if you were a scientist, you could either come up with a new offensive line football stat, or you could, Find a vaccine to cure COVID. Either are good, both are important, and neither could Equally. be neither could be done by me. I mean, because right, because what's the point of being cured of COVID if you can't have offensive line stats to analyze when you're feeling healthy? Mm. So okay. opportunity rate is the percent of carries that gain at least four yards, i.e., the percentage of carries in which the line does its job, so to speak. Again, this constant idea that when you're evaluating the offensive line. It's sort of on the line to keep the defense off the back for the first four yards. And then beyond that, it's kind of on the running back. So last year, 51.8% of the plays, they sort of did their job with opportunity rate. That was 20th in the country. This year, 54.7, 19th in the country. So slightly higher rate this year, but basically the same, right? 19th in the, in the country versus 20th in the country. And then the last one is another one is called stuff rate. It's the percentage of carries by a running back that are stopped at or before the line of scrimmage. In 2019, Ohio State's stuff rate was 14.5. So 14.5 of their carries, percent of the carries by the running back were stopped at the line. That was seventh in the country, right? Very good. That's not a very high stuff rate seventh in the country this year it's 12.6 which is actually a bit better it's 15th in the country so again it's kind of in the same range all these things that are talking about is the line doing its job kind of in the first four yards of a run play is mostly similar is mostly similar a little down here a little up there mostly similar which would lead me to the point of if it feels like the run game isn't quite where it was last year, it's not the line. It's the backs, which is no surprise to anybody who's watched these first three games of the season or has listened to this podcast. I think some of these reinforce that there are some things and, and this is a part of so, the line can only do so much. I think there are some holes being missed. I think there are some, de- some defenders not being taken care of by the back, some opportunities not seized. I think that's there. I think some of this is proving that. The other thing I think is this, and, I, and this is more sort of what you guys think about things, and then maybe we'll get out of here. At least in the game I watched against Nebraska, and that was actually a game where Justin carried it a few times. There was in particular a third and one where the defensive end just crashed down on what looked like a read. Justin gave it to the running back. I can't remember if it was Teague or Sermon and the end crashed down and tackled him in the backfield and he did not get the first down. And it just was like, Justin is, I probably reading that end. And if you're reading him crashing down, then that's a keep for the quarterback and around the edge he goes, but he gave it. This run game will get better. I think when it's, when it's go time against Bama or Clemson or Notre Dame, because they will, bring more Justin Fields back into that run game. And either he's going to keep more on some of these reads or guess what? On third and two, when someone's keeping the ball and slamming into a hole to try to get the first down, it's going to be quarterback power. It's not going to be either of these backs. I Steven, is that out there in the end that whatever consternation may or may not exist among fans about either the running backs or the offensive line, as with everything related to this offense and this team, and frankly, the world, Justin Fields is the answer. When you get to the playoff, it is. Right now, it doesn't have to be. And in in, as far as the run game, it doesn't have to be the answer. You can continue to try to, you know, develop Master Teague and get him ri- rhythm and get him reps and maybe even Trey Sermon or maybe 
whatever it ends up being, whether they continue to split it or one of them, Master T, starts to just take all the first team reps, whatever they do, they can continue to build on that because no one in this Big Ten is going to slow to slow down this offense anyway. So you can continue to do that. But once they get to the playoff and they're playing a Clemson or an Alabama or a Notre Dame or a Florida, whoever, yeah, I'm. There is a scenario where it's third and two, and Justin Fields is 100% going to keep that ball because that's when he gets unleashed again. Until then, I don't know. I wouldn't say they're telling him not to keep it, but he hasn't run that much since Nebraska, and you know we've seen that he can do it. Everybody knows he can do it, and so that's probably something they're keeping in their back pocket until they absolutely need it. I guess my my one hesitation on this is, and Doug, I think you make a good point in in those. Uh, football outsiders comparisons but we all kind of expected that this offensive line would be better than it was last year maybe even like demonstrably better and we thought it might have to be because we already knew about the limitations of the backfield the potential limitations of the backfield so I guess that's still my question here is that if they're only as good as last year isn't that still a step down that's a great point that's a great point. And I think you're exactly right. And I think that may be in the end where we are. And I want to run through a final thing and see if you guys agree, yes or no, with sort of a final maybe characterization of this whole offensive line discussion. But I actually I think you're right on there, Nathan, that really, and it's sort of the way that I phrased a question to Ryan Day on Tuesday was, we know the bar that Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis set for themselves by playing so well last year. We kind of thought they'd just be killing people every snap. Are they? And it was like, well, yeah, they're good. They're good. But I don't know that they're destroying defensive linemen on every snap. And that's unfair. It's an unfair expectation. But my gosh, it's Ohio State. This is the land of unfair expectations. This is what we do. So I do think there are a couple things at play. But I think in the end, if that's where we are, that you know what? It's pretty good. It's as good as last year, which was pretty good. But actually, we thought it would be better. And maybe it's not better and maybe they're on the way to better, but they're not quite as good as we thought so far. So let's, let's see if we agree with these characterizations about the run game right now, would we say, or not the run game, even the offensive line. And then we'll get to the backs. The tackles are playing very well, both Nicholas Petit Frere and Thayer Munford. Does anyone have any analysis of the tackles that would greatly differ from that? Steven? No, that's pretty much what it is. I wanted to point out one. So a lot of these grades that I'm giving out, it's it's tough to compare one year to the next because they've played so few snaps so far. The exception to that is Petit Frere, who only played 240 snaps that were graded by PFF last year. He's at 218 right now. Last year, he was at 59.2. This year, 79.2. 20 points is a huge jump when you're talking about offensive line grading. So just want to throw that in there. But yeah, the tackles are playing well. The tackles are playing better than expected, I would say. That, um, that's a big deal because this is coming against first stringers. And last year, that wasn't always the case. Nathan, do you have where the two tackles for Ohio State rank nationally or in the Big Ten among tackle grades? I do, yeah. Uh, Munford is 38th nationally and NPF is 43rd nationally and there's 130 teams. So to have both your guys in the top 40 basically is not bad. There are three guys in the Big Ten in the top 20. Okay. So they're playing it kind of an uh, – a nearly borderline all big 10 kind of level, maybe second team, all big 10 kind of level in that mix. Okay. Correct. All right. Let's deal with Wyatt Davis. I would say Wyatt Davis maybe is fine, but maybe Wyatt Davis, if you thought Wyatt Davis was perhaps the best guard in college football, I don't know that he's been playing quite like that so far. Steven, would you agree with that characterization? No, he's not playing as I think the best guard, but I don't think he's playing worse than he was last year either, though. I think he's just the same as last year. I don't know if that's, and I don't know if that's good or bad. I just think it's the same as the same old Wyatt Davis we saw last year. So in 14 games last season, according to PFF, Davis allowed no sacks, which is why he was an all American 15 hurries, 15 pressures, which are obviously pretty tied in and I didn't write down hits, but I don't think he allowed that many hits. Uh, in 2020 already, in three games, one sack, six hurries, seven pressures. And that now, sack is he slipped. And right. The guy went by. Right. But I don't think that – there does seem to be more pressure coming through him. But, again, I am curious how much of that is sort of that domino effect that slides down the line. He isn't getting as much help. He doesn't get to work in tandem sometimes, I think, as much with Myers because Myers has to maybe give more attention to Miller's side. Whereas Jonah Jackson at left guard last year was like a multi-year all big 10 player at Rutgers who came in 
fully formed and they just plugged him right into left guard and said, go be an all big 10 pick. And he said, okay. And again, I don't think Davis got more attention last year than Jonah Jackson. And now that's flipped. And again, I don't even necessarily think this is like a criticism of Harry Miller. I think it's just what it is when you're putting a sophomore out there playing his first games in the big 10. No, that's one of those things. I, I don't, I think this is important to analyze this stuff. And listen, again, we're not pretending. We're just, we're trying to do the best we can as three guys. Have you seen us? Really? Have you ever seen our bodies? I am often astounded at how, well, actually my wife calls me this. I think this is a, maybe a medical term. She calls me apple body chicken legs, which means I have a big old round gut and skinny little toothpick legs. And uh, I'm not exactly sure what Greg Stoudrawa would say about that, but I don't know that it's ideal. I don't know that it's an ideal offensive line frame. And Probably Steven not. is Steven's like five six. How how tall are you, Steven? What are you like? Five, five six, ten. Five ten. Steven, he's, if you say Steven's you're five taller ten, than I am. Yeah, five six. What's wrong with you? Five five eight and a half. I mean, you're basketball five ten in the program. You're five ten. <laughs> 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 like with 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 sneakers on, you're five ten. Yeah, it's like an AAU five ten. <laughs> yeah. Also, not an offensive like, line frame. I was like six two <laughs> if I had played AAU in the in the program. Or, <laughs> you were like six two. Like, yeah. In, in so program. listen, who are we? Who are we to say? I mean, <laughs> again, such a real thing. Harry Harry Miller is a better left guard than we are, but we're just trying. The comparison is, I mean, the 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 threshold is: does it beat Bama? Does it beat Clemson? And it might, it might. But also, that you're always constantly at Ohio State compared to Ohio state. So that's what we're trying to do here. So let's get to Josh Myers real quick. I think Josh Myers is fine. And, but when he is talking about being over eager, I think he is talking about himself too much when he's talking about maybe trying to rip guys heads off. I think he's talking about himself a little bit. I think maybe he's had a couple bad plays in a couple games because maybe he's trying to do too much. Would, would we agree with that, Steven? Yeah, I think he, yeah, I think he's trying to help his little brother too much and it's actually hurting him more than anything else. So what are Josh Myers' grades so far, Nathan? Uh, he was at 72.5 last year for the season, and he's at 60.4 right now. And I will say what's interesting is the Big Ten is like the conference of centers in 2020. Because according to PFF's grades, the top three centers in the country per grade right now are from the Big Ten, and seven of the top 50. And then he's at number 51. He's eighth. Okay. That is, a, that is a, lot, a lot of good centers. So, again, he's a good player. I just think maybe he's he's had a couple – rough snaps here and there. So then Harry Miller is fighting through it, right? You can see the skill when he locks onto a guy. I mean, you can see the power, you can see the skill, you can see the footwork. He is moving guys sometimes. And then sometimes he's just making rookie mistakes. Nathan, is is that a fair characterization of Harry Miller? Do you think? I think that's absolutely true. I think there are times where he does things that you would expect him to do just based on his, his, pedigree i guess for lack of a better term and what we've expected him to eventually do but he's not consistent with it yet nor i don't again as i said before nor do i think josh myers or wyatt davis or whoever would have been consistent with it as sophomores playing big 10 games for the first time and what's what are what's harry's final overall grade right now and where does he rank he's 62 two, which is not great but not like some something miserable but he ranks 126th among all guards and that's all guards who have played the minimum snaps um but even in three games, he's played enough snaps to qualify for their minimum. Okay. And so then finally, then in the end, as we think about the running backs, as they relate to the offensive line, I just don't think they're doing the offensive line any favors yet. They are not making the offensive line look better. I think that the times they are making the offensive line look worse. I think there is a lack of vision with Trey Sermon. I think Master Teague is getting better as he goes along, but I think, I do think, Stephen, if we had J.K. Dobbins or Ezekiel Elliott, this is not a newsflash anybody, in the backfield, our offensive line discussion would change a little bit because they'd be hitting more of the holes that are there. We might be saying that this offensive line is better than last year because, yes, Harry Miller would still have these moments, but there's also be some runs where Master Teague takes it for 11 yards, J.K. Dobbins scores it for a 65-yard touchdown, or these holes that – Trey Sermon's not hitting. J.K. Dobbins obviously hits those holes every single time. And so, yeah, maybe this offensive line is better than last year, but when you have running backs who aren't as good as the running back you had last year, you're never going to necessarily see that. It's better, but it's going to look as good as it was last year because the running backs aren't as good. Well, let's also bring up the flip side of that, which is that if you give Justin Fields any kind of a pocket at all, he makes you look really good as an offensive line. So that's the other side of it. 
And there are times, PFF tweeted this out today, Justin Fields in a clean pocket this season, 90% completion rate, (laughs) 152.9 passer rating, which is first in the country, nine touchdowns, zero interceptions. There are times, and again, offensive linemen love to run block. There are times when the pocket that Justin Fields has is beautiful. It is a perfect little half moon, and he could stand in there all day. And you can see, one, two, three, four, five. All these five guys just standing up these defensive linemen and letting Justin Field work. Justin Fields work. Can you imagine if you had Justin Fields and he was running for his life every play? Because your line actually stunk and you felt like, my God, we're wasting this guy. If you could just give him two seconds, he would rip defenses apart and you can't do that. They are doing that. So I don't want this to be overly critical, but I think in the end, Nathan, we'll give you the last word. Is there anything that we said on this podcast that you think in their hearts the Ohio State offensive linemen themselves or Greg Studrawa would disagree with? Or do um, they know that the bar is high but and they, they can do better? I think they probably don't care what PFF is grading them and certainly don't care what we are grading them. But I do think that they see that their, their play as something that can and should improve over the second half. This is their, we're, we're, they have, they've set a baseline here in this first half and it needs to get better. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And if there are any former offensive linemen uh, listening to this who are, are screaming at their phone while listening, uh, please don't hurt us. So I think it's interesting. I thought it was interesting talking to them. It was interesting rewatching some of this stuff, and it's something that's going to matter a lot going forward. So that's it. We'll come back with the big Thursday, fo- uh, Thursday pod. The Friday pod will be the picks and preview pod. We'll do it Thursday night on a live Zoom with texters. The Friday pod making our picks with 10 and two Stephen Means riding the hot streak. Let Stephen Means make you money. Go right now. If you have possessions, start selling them. Start selling them now. So when Stephen drops his three Big Ten picks on the Friday pod, you can get in on that action. Thanks to you guys for listening. On behalf of Nathan and Stephen, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>